Are beavers really worth a damn? These furry agents of change create and maintain essential wetlands. No one's going to argue that they improve their environment for the better, but I'm starting to think that they change the lives of the people who work with them as well. Let me show you what I mean. I am on the line now with Dr. Jimmy Taylor, who is the research wildlife biologist for APHIS at the Corvallis office in Oregon. And um, I'm so happy to be able to talk with you and uh, really interested in your thoughts about this. So why don't you start out by explaining to us what your job is and, and what you do. Okay. And I'd first like to thank you for this opportunity again, Heidi. I really appreciate it. Um, my job title and description, I guess, can be kind of complicated, so I'll try and give you the Reader's Digest condensed version and keep it related to beavers. But, um, you know, first of all, I'm employed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, as you mentioned, as a research wildlife biologist. And more specifically, I'm a field station leader and a project leader for one of seven specialized research stations within the National Wildlife Research Center. And uh, the headquarters for my project is located in Fort Collins, Colorado. And as you mentioned, my research station is in Corvallis, Oregon. I'm here on the Oregon State University campus. And the focus of my project is to advance our knowledge in improving tools, techniques, and strategies that reduce human-wildlife cons conflicts, specifically with forested and aquatic areas. So, you know, our other field stations have other um, specific projects. But um, my focus, you know, includes a variety of species that include black bears, deer, elk, voles, pocket gophers, and so forth. But I think the reason you've invited me here today is uh, because of my work with the American beaver, and that's certainly a large part of my current research because of their role in forest ecosystems. Right, right. So, and, and I've been reading your name uh, associated with um, thinking about beaver and its role for a long time. So. Yeah, um, you know, I came to be the project leader of this particular position in 2006, and, uh, you know, when I inherited the project, uh, work with aquatic mammals was already part of that. And, you know, sometimes our our research focus shifts to different areas, you know, where we're trying to resolve human-wildlife conflicts. But beavers has always uh, kind of been one that has been present. And, you know, recently there's become, you know, this overwhelming need to understand more about their relationship with anadromous fishes. Um, and being here in Oregon is a great place to do that because there are federally listed uh, salmonids that are here. Uh, cohabitating in areas with beavers, and right. so. And you just said a big word, so I just <laughs> want to clarify what that is. So, anadromous is fish that go to sea, right? Right, those that that share freshwater and saltwater, uh -huh. like um, uh, the the steelhead, um, which is a, a a trout that goes to the ocean and comes back in a different form, and and also our salmon here, right. Um, so I, I currently supervise three graduate students that are involved in research. Um, one of those is working on a military base in Alabama that's managed for multiple resources, including biological diversity. Wow. And, um, you know, managers there have been 
they have the ability to control water on the installation because it's largely influenced by a, a major river. Huh. And that student's using source sink theory to test hypothesis about their dispersal and survival and habitat selection in a pretty dynamic environment. Mm-hmm. And the other two graduate students are both here at Oregon State, and one is looking at space use of beavers in a central Oregon stream, which supports the mid-Columbia steelhead, which is one of the federally listed species here in Oregon. And that studies in collaboration with Michael Pollack and others from NOAA's Northwest Fishery Science Center. Mm-hmm. And so we know in that area from you know, a published long-term study that beavers have been there for a while, but the number of dams that they create and are able to maintain varies a lot from year to year. Mm-hmm. And we also know, you know, through Michael's work that these dams increase aggradation and provide in-stream habitat for the steelhead, but what's been missing is the beaver component. So my students investigating the dynamics of this local beaver population. And wow. You know, that's going to add to our knowledge of their role in the restoration efforts. Right. Right. So when you say the local beaver population, do you mean that she has a count of how many beavers there are, or what do you mean? Well, we we don't know exactly to the number how many are there, but mm-hmm. she's she's uh, live-trapped several mm-hmm. individuals. So, um, you know, we have a relative sample of that population, and she's using radio telemetry to find out, um, you know, information about their survival and if they're not surviving, what are the causes of mortality and how how are they moving throughout this watershed or are they moving and are they building dams and are these dams persisting so that they're they're um, providing in-stream habitat for the steelhead and so right. how did you how did you come to this? What made you think that it was worth? Um, kind of learning more about the role of beaver. Was it really Michael Pollack's research that got us interested in that? Yeah, I, w- I would say that um, I first got started with beaver research indirectly while I was a graduate student. And huh. when I was working on my my Ph.D. work, I was on a military land base in the southeast, and it was mandated to manage for biological diversity while also maintaining its mission, its reason for being there. And in that case, it was training Navy aviators. Uh-huh. Um, but my surveys included work with small mammals and amphibians and birds and several different habitat types, one of which was beaver-created wetlands. Yeah. And, you know, needless to say, working in these old <laughs> beaver wetlands was really interesting. And we found, you know, high diversity of several birds that were high on the partners in flight species uh-huh. of concern list, you know, the ones that they were really concerned about. And we also found several range extensions and new county records of amphibians that were associated with these wetlands that wow. no one even knew was there. So I think that was, you know, my first work with research in, yeah. in beavers. And then I had a position where I was working with fish-eating birds, so there was a lag time there where I didn't really do any work with beavers. But right. then when I, I moved to the Northwest to be the project leader here in 2006, I was able to start doing work with beavers again. What would you say is a part of what you do that people do not understand? I mean, people have really strong attitudes about APHIS. So what what do we not get? Um, well, let, let me start out by saying this. I think that within the human-wildlife conflict world that that I live in and yeah. do research in, 
there there are five general right ways that that managers resolve those conflicts, and they include exclusion, repellence, habitat modification, toxicants, and hunting slash trapping. Mm-hmm. Um, the first three methods that I mentioned, you know, they involve non-lethal tools and techniques. Right. But the latter involve tools and techniques that reduce population numbers, and that's something that a lot of people don't want to consider even as a tool. And, right. Um, I would have to say, though, that, that pragmatic managers, whether they, they like those tools or not, they still realize that they're part of a toolbox, if mm-hmm. you will, um, and whether you you like those or not, you still need to consider those as options. And, and mm-hmm. there's been past studies that have shown that an adaptive strategy is often best for achieving consensus, and it may involve multiple techniques. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, some people just have preconceived beliefs about, you know, my project, the National Wildlife Research Center, and our parent organization, Wildlife Services, um, that are, you know, totally incorrect, and we're often accused of just wasting taxpayers' dollars to kill animals, Mm -hmm. when, in fact, we really strive to utilize non-lethal strategies to reduce human-wildlife conflicts. And, you know, I mean, I... If I could, I'd just give you an example. Yeah. Uh, the the other graduate student project that, that I didn't mention earlier is in the Oregon Coast Range. And this project is not dissuading or promoting beaver relocation per se, but we're using our research to understand more about beaver relocation as a tool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is an option for landowners in Oregon if they coordinate through the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. Right. That landowner A, who's got a nuisance beaver or a nuisance colony, can work with landowner B to give them the beavers. Um, and you know, the the beavers that are involved in this grad student's particular study were individuals that caused damage on private property, and that exceeded the tolerance level of the landowners. Mm-hmm. And they would have otherwise been trapped by the landowners or local trappers. Um, but we worked with the state and the landowners to, you know, include those as part of our research study. And, you know, just by by live trapping them and moving them, some people may view this and say, well, right on, you know, you save these beavers' lives. And they may assume that transporting them to right. a naive location and releasing them, you know, secures their future success. But we really don't know that, and we want to understand more about it. And right. Most relocation efforts don't involve monitoring. Uh-huh. They release them and call it good. And if they see beavers there in the future, you know, it's a huge success. But, in fact, we don't know really if those beavers were the ones released or if they were immigrants from another population. Right. <clears throat> and some of the previous studies that have monitored those individuals have showed that survival is extremely low mm-hmm. and that beavers move up to 40 miles or more from the release site. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can imagine that as complex as our landscape is, how many different ownerships a beaver would move through, right. uh, you know, in 40 miles. So what may seem like saving a beaver or a beaver colony's life could, in fact, be adding stress to those individuals and that family unit and, you know, creating a situation where they could succumb to disease or predation or starvation. And, mm-hmm. you know, our research wants to give land managers and landowners as much information as we can to make the right decisions, mm-hmm. understanding that, you know, there are several options to choose from. Right. 
Right. Well, I, I, and that's really interesting. And I know that um, Leonard and Lois, one of the releases they did, the beavers were predated. There was mm-hmm. a like a like a mountain lion attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they did their first sample did use, um, you know, telemetry. Did right. use radio tags on their tails. Right, and they were they were very involved with uh, Dwayne Jackson, who. Um, was the leader of that study with Oregon Department of wow. Fish and Wildlife. Yeah. They, they did a tremendous amount of the field work associated with that project, a lot of volunteer hours. Yeah. Well, um, I assume you've seen a beaver. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, tell me about the, what kind of struck you or the first time you saw one, what you remember. Uh, you know, this will probably sound strange, but I really can't remember the first time that I saw a beaver. Were um, you an adult? or No, I, I grew up in the southeastern United States. Uh-huh. Beavers were plentiful, and I was always outdoors. So I'm not really sure at what point I first okay. saw one. But, yeah. you know, one thing that stands out in my mind, um, I guess a surprise would be the first time I heard them use the tail slap alarm. <laughs> um when I was young, a friend of mine and I used to go to a neighbor's lake to go bass fishing, and sometimes the best fishing was right before dark. Uh-huh. And a lot of times the beavers would come out of the the back end of the lake, and they would notice that we were there still fishing, and they would slap their tails at us. And <laughs> then we would use our boat paddles to communicate back with them by slapping the water. And, I'm pretty sure they were telling us to leave, but I'm not sure what we were saying back then. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. You know, um, there's a passage in Lily Pond where she uses a shovel to communicate. Oh, really? The same way. Yeah, yeah. you should you should read it. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, when you think about what you do and um, and the idea of some other students really being interested in taking your role forward. Um, what kind of background should they have? What kind of training is really helpful? Oh, well, I guess there's several different ways that people could be involved. Um, if one is interested in conducting research, I would say, you know, get as much education and experience as you possibly can. Yeah. And it's a very competitive field now. It seems to be getting harder and harder for young professionals to get started. So. I would say don't be afraid to move around and even volunteer time to get experience mm. and you know collaborate with others that that share your interest and find ways to mutually support your interest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, when you say it's a very competitive field, what field exactly do you mean? Um, well, that's a good question. I, I would say the the field of wildlife science or wildlife uh, ecology, wildlife management. Um, yeah. Why do why do you think that is? Uh, I think it's probably a combination of things, but one, it, it interests people. There mm-hmm. there are more people that are interested in doing that as a profession now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are probably more people interested than there are jobs available. Wow! And so it it becomes really competitive. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh And some people decide that you know even though they're interested in wildlife management, they don't. They don't want to be a research scientist, and that's fine, too. Um, And for those people, you know, I would say still get as much experience as you can, but 
also to be open-minded about research. You know, yeah. we, we can learn a lot from it. And Yeah. What do you think is the piece that is missing from understanding beaver management with flow devices? I know we've kind of had a conversation about this, but mm-hmm. what what's the next step? What needs to happen next? Well, I think it's, it's probably related to just education and people understanding or not understanding, if you will. Um, I think probably a lot of people have misconceptions about it uh, because they don't understand. Uh-huh. And um, we as a profession uh, probably need to do a better job of explaining that. And I, I think that there's a lot more room to do research and and. Uh, you know, if you look at beaver ecology and compare it to a lot of other species, beaver are really understudied. Mm. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot that we could still learn. And then other than publishing research papers, we need to break down that information so that it gets to landowners and land managers who don't read peer-reviewed mm-hmm. scientific journals. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the workshops that you guys do and that uh, HSUS has done and, and some of the extension organizations with, with uh, land-grant universities, those those need to still go on and probably as much as we can increase those so that that hands-on applied experience is getting out to people. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, I really appreciate you talking with us at Agents of Change and I am very interested in thinking about how what we do and what we learn can help um, what you do and the things that you learn and help people understand your role. So thank you so much. Well, thank you again, Heidi. I really appreciate the opportunity. Sit that down.